0: Well, hi again, everybody, and welcome back to Anti-Bullying 101. These podcasts are designed to create awareness about the bullying epidemic and provide teachers, administrators, parents, and even students information about the dangers of bullying and why we have to take a comprehensive approach when dealing with the problem. My name is Jim Burns. I'm your host I'm a retired high school administrator with over 40 years of experience in education. Currently, I'm a college instructor and I've designed the Bullyproof Classroom, a graduate course that provides my students with permanent help, not temporary relief, as they battle the bullying epidemic. Today, we're gonna try and figure out why I'm so confused. You know, Einstein, who was a pretty smart guy, he made a comment one time, and it was, if you can't explain it simply enough, you probably don't understand it. And there are certain things in education that I absolutely don't understand. And I just want to go over a couple of these, a few of these with you, and bear with me and almost humor me in this podcast, because things I just, I just quite haven't figured out. Number one, it, it, there are things that are just known facts. They're known And there are things that we did in the past that have worked. And in education, for some reason, when something new comes down the pike, we tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater and forget all of the things that we've ever done. And we adopt an entirely new approach and sometimes the approaches in other words if a program comes into a school this year and they discover in october that it doesn't work they keep they they continue with the program even though it's not working and we all know the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result And I, I really want to take a look at some of these things. I may not even get to all of them. I know I like to keep these podcasts within 20 to 25 minutes. My audience it, it would you know, lose attention if, because they're sometimes podcasts that are too long, people just don't listen to. But let's take a look at Some things that we've discovered. Now, we wanted to make sure that everyone was getting academically prepared. And that's a good thing. We wanted to make sure that everyone was receiving a first-class education. And I understand that. And that's a good deal. But we also have discovered that we have a rampant problem today with teenage obesity and diabetes. And maybe not even teenage. There are young children that have this. And what I want to know is, why do we scrap recess, scrap all of our uh, programs that are hands-on, like shops and home economics, where kids get to move around. Why do we have to end up reverting to brain breaks in a classroom where you get kids moving for a minute or two at a time? And I'm not opposed to brain breaks. I mean, movement is movement. But the bottom line is, why do we revert to that? And why don't we just give, give kids more time to run around outside during recess. Certain things kids need to do, running around is one of them, playing is one of them, having more active time in in school helps with the, the problem of kids being overweight, but we have created a more sedentary lifestyle for these kids where they spend more time seated than they do moving around. And that's one of the things that I just don't understand. It's very simple. It's a very simple thing. Kids are overweight. We've created more sedentary activities in school. We have a problem, a health problem with our students, yet we don't allow kids to run around And play more during the school day. Doesn't make sense. It's very simple. Let kids run around more. And things will start to uh, improve health-wise for our kids. The second thing that I don't understand is, and it confuses me. We have kids take a standardized test every year to determine their achievement and see where they are academically. We have this test that they take, state by state, they all have one, and we determine how well kids are doing. Now, that's a great thing. And I ask you, how are the tests administered? In what type of environment are these tests administered? Well, the tests are administered in rows. And they have to have a certain style pencil, a number two mongol, I guess. And the test is proctored. And everyone walks around. And they make sure that no one's cheating, you know, and so on. It's a very, very structured test. Now... How are the kids taught the content for the test? They're taught the content in cooperative groups. Why are they taught in cooperative groups? I'm not opposed to cooperative groups, but once again, we seem to throw the baby out with the bathwater and believe that cooperative groups are the end-all, the be-all. We put kids together in these groups, and they're sitting there, and we're teaching content for the test, and we think it's a known fact that kids have to be in the same environment when they take the test that they were in when they were given the infra- when they were learning the material for the test. So why are they in cooperative groups during the time when they're learning the material? By the way, cooperative groups are pretty good, you know, in terms of you know getting kids to work together and develop social skills, but you know we're trying to develop social skills. We can do that you know in a lot of different ways. We don't have the kids sit have to have the kids sitting on top of one another to help them learn social skills. We could do that in a lot of different ways. But for some reason, let's put them all in cooperative groups and I will tell you this there's a percentage of bullying that occurs in those groups. Kids don't like the groups that they're in often. Kids have difficulty working with certain people in those groups. And when you think about that, understand that the brain has to survive. The brain has to survive. And how does it survive? Fight or flight? Or it freezes, one of the two. And if I'm sitting next to somebody that's giving me a hard time, I'm more concerned about dealing with him than I am about the content in any teacher's teaching. So I'm a little confused. The research says keep them in uh, rows when they take the test. Why don't we teach them in rows more often? And teaching in rows is not bad. Where we get the idea that the kids have to be in these groups, is, is beyond me. I'm confused about it. Is this the best that we got? Is this what we got? Everyone's got to be in a group in order to learn. I don't see why they can't be in rows for openers and move them into groups occasionally. So I'm a little confused about that one. Here's another one for you. Once again, we've just lost a little bit of wisdom and common sense, and it's a very simple thing. We have to make modifications for just about every kid that's that's in our classroom, whether they be special ed or they need a 504 plan, and I'm not questioning whether or not kids need these things. That's not... That's not the qu- that's not the idea here. That's not my purpose for this comment. But what I want to know is how many modifications can be made without filling out ten sheets of paper. Years ago, hey kid can't see the blackboard. Move them closer to the board. Kids have difficulty with certain kids. Change their seat. It's just very basic, common-sense-type stuff that I can't understand why we just don't do it. Think about it. Kid has a problem. Oh, he needs a modification. We have to have a meeting. Parents have to come in. By the time we um, implement the modification, two months have gone by before we can get everybody together for a meeting. I don't get it. I'm confused. Humor me. Try and explain this one to me. Just take care of the stuff. N- another one that has got me a little bit off kilter is this. We hang on to kids at the high school level with un behavior problems that are disrupting the environment, that's, that are driving the teachers crazy, that are driving other students crazy, and we still keep them in school. Now, years ago, years ago, there was a few avenues that you could take if, in fact, you weren't making it. Let's just say you're 18 years old And you have 20 credits. Well, the chances are pretty good that you're going to have a problem graduating at some point. So we got to do something with you. So the principal would call you in with your mother or father and you sit you down and say, look, here's your options. Drop out, get a GED. Number two, what you could do is, is... You can join the service. And we'll give you a letter because you spent four years here. We didn't say you graduated, but you spent four years here. Go to adult school. Go to vocational school. But the one thing that was absolutely certain was you can't stay here. You can't stay here. Because you're eating up space and time and energy of people like teachers who want to teach you, but you don't want to learn. You're not on time. You're always late. You're Sometimes you're not in school. When you are in school, you don't do anything but eat lunch. So what ki- we're actually helping the kid. I'm confused. We don't do this anymore. And I can't explain it. What's wrong with it? You see, what's happened, folks, is there's been a bunch of conditions that have come down the pike. And again, I'm not going to joust with you about whether or not these conditions exist because somebody said they exist. Number one, ADHD, ODD, all of the conditions that produce Crummy behavior, if you will, or that are conditions that just, for some reason or another, they're they're kind of more innate. They're implicit. Uh, it's too. It's really too. We come up with symptoms for them, and we and what we do is we hang a condition on it. You see, years ago, if few people burn the American flag, they throw them in jail. What do you do if 5,000 people burn the flag and the jails aren't big enough to hold them? You create a law that says freedom of speech, freedom of expression, burn the flag. Years ago, we had a handful of these kids. We had a handful of them. And we had the ability to say, you can't stay here anymore at the high school level. What do you do if you got a school full of these kids? Well, you create a condition to support the behavior. Now, because you have a condition, we have to make sure we make all kinds of modifications for you, of which some, okay, you don't care about, and they're not going to help you anyway because you don't have any desire to want to learn. You're there eating up space. It becomes a social environment for you. You may sell drugs at school. Okay, you, you come there for lunch. There's a lot of reasons why you're there, but it's not to learn. I'm confused. Why do we continue to hang on to those kids? It becomes one of these things that just is, is almost an enigma. We continue to do it. And, I, I, you know, it, it's kind of like uh, you give certain kids extra time to pass a test. Here's another one. Extra time to take a test, I'm sorry. So they have, um, they have written into their plan, whether it be a 504 or whatever it is, that they now have extended time on their test. And they could sit there for two days. Guess what? They still won't get the right answer. That type of thing is designed for kids who need time because of they're slower at writing, slower at processing information, slower at reading, and so on. Maybe they even need assistance and we give them a little extra time to take a test. But the bottom line is, they could sit there for two days, they won't get the right answer. They may not be able to finish the test. But as soon as somebody says he needs more time to take a test, we give it to him. Or we write it in somewhere that allows the kid to have the time. Don't understand it. It's very simple. Exempt them from the test. Give them something else to do. If it's a classroom-type test and you know you have these issues, if everything is individualized, individualize the test-taking process as well. Give him a project. Discover his, his um, content, his content ability. Discover his knowledge base on the material that's taught with a project. What difference does it make? Yet, we continue to do these things. I can't figure it out. And I know, and the thing that I, I will share with you is, I'm 65 years old. I'm old school. Very old school. And I've kind of watched, watched the deterioration of education. I've watched some of this stuff go on over the course of my Over now, 40 years of experience. And I know one thing. They don't ask us our opinion enough as teachers. If there was a medical summit in Washington, they'd invite doctors. If there was a legal summit, they'd invite lawyers. They'd invite lawyers. If there was an educational summit, we wouldn't get invited. They don't care about what we think or what we say. The system runs by people who sit in an ivory tower somewhere and they make a decision that they believe is good for us and the students. And I've said it before. There's two types of research. Empirical where you sit down and go over the books and find out what other people say and draw your own conclusion and then there's something that nobody talks about that's exp- ex- experiential opinion you sat in the trench for 40 years and you watched things happen and you watched how the slope continued da- continued downhill and you're just wondering why it continues in that direction when some of the stuff that we do for some reason doesn't work. And once again, I'll say it I'm just confused and really, I don't know what to do. But I can tell you, I'll keep talking about it, creating awareness about it. And maybe, just maybe, one day somebody will start listening. To us. My name is Jim Burns. You've been listening to Anti Bullying 101. Please go to my website, www.bullyproofclassroom.com. You'll find a wealth of material there that I know you'll find useful. I'm going to put that link uh, in the episode description of this podcast. Check out the courses, check out um, some of the products, read the articles. And this podcast will be available on that website as well, so you can go there and enjoy it. Once again, my name is Jim Burns, and you've been listening to Anti-Bullying 101.